For more resources, visit rymonline.org. The Local Youth Worker is a daily podcast that's centered on five questions each week. Ranging from the practical to the professional, we're looking for answers to the questions you're asking. Whether you're in full-time, part-time, or even volunteer youth ministry, this podcast is for you. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm here with Jonathan McGuire. Um, and today we're talking about something that involves um, parents. A question we like to ask is, uh, since youth ministry isn't just ministry to youth, it's ministry to the whole family, um, what are some things that you've done in your ministry to include parents or to foster those relationships with the parents? I can summarize uh, the things I try to do under two headings. One, and I'll start with the negative because I'm trying to be a more po- uh, optimistic person, so yeah, we'll end there. The bad news yeah, we'll go with bad news, right? Uh, there's a problem to avoid. The problems are often. <laughs> I laugh because I don't want to offend anyone listening, but I, I think it's pretty insane that churches put the least mature members of their community in charge of the least mature members of their community. So we put a 21-year-old guy who's still in college who barely knows how much a gallon of milk costs at the store in, the, in charge of the spiritual maturity of youth. I say this as a guy who, when he was 20, was hired by a church to, to minister to the students and I tell you, it was a colossal failure. I did not know what it was to teach the Bible. And it was, it was my own failure that made me want to, want to learn what it was to teach the Bible. I didn't know how to talk to parents. Good grief. I was two years older than the seniors in the high school group. I looked at them, and I still thought they were you know, the motherly and, and fatherly figures for me. Over time, though, I, I've learned that you have to pursue wisdom You have to pursue knowledge of the scriptures. You have to read voraciously. You cannot simply say, whatever education I've had was enough. If we are being given the spiritual responsibility to teach those in our church, which scripture says in Hebrews to the church, submit to your elders. Now, I know a 20-year-old youth worker is not an elder in the church, but he should aspire to be. It's kind of weird that we have people in our church who have spiritual responsibility, and yet do not fit the biblical requirements for spiritual responsibility. So leaving that controversy aside, there is a problem here to avoid. And a lot of times I see these young guys who make the mistakes of, say, meeting one-on-one with a 17-year-old girl at a coffee shop. That's insane. Not because he'll be tempted or she'll pour herself out emotionally and latch on to him, but because it's just insane. (laughs) You think of everything that could go wrong. So I had to learn over the years that if, for instance, I was meeting one-on-one with a girl, which sometimes, frankly, I, I have to do. Um, I know there's a controversy about that, say the Billy Graham rule, which has come up with, with Vice President Pence and how he keeps that in his poli- political role. And we won't get into the politics. We won't get into any of that. That's good you're bringing that up. But I, I will call the father if he is in the picture, or the mother if they are in the picture, both if both are, or whoever is their guardian, I will call them, not text, not email. But we'll call them and say, Susie, for instance, I'm making that name up, Susie has asked to meet with me. I'm not sure what she wants to talk about. Is that okay with you? And if they say no, I don't do it, period. The parents have the responsibility for this child, not me. 
And if the parents refuse, all I can do is pray. It's possible that I can engage them in conversation and find out why, but I'm not the point. That child is given to those parents to shepherd, not me. And I have to remember that, or I get sucked into all kinds of problems where I think I'm, I'm functionally a spiritual dictator walking through a church demanding people conform to my ways of being. And uh, so including the parents, anytime I'm meeting with a student, I've had a number of situations where there was, say, an only child in a divorced home, so a son might live with his mother or a daughter might live with a father. Even then, I will, I'll, I'll call and, and talk to the parent as, as, if I can, if I have the time to do that ahead of time, I'll always try to touch base with them and, and ask them if it's okay. I will ask them in order to foster their spiritual awareness and, and awaken them to their spiritual responsibility What's it like when you pray with Susie? I word it that way because I want them to know I'm assuming they're praying with them. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. And that's usually a great opportunity for them to say, you know, I'm not. And I say, is there any way I can help? So oftentimes the way we simply ask parents questions about the spiritual lives of their kids cements in their head that, you're not outsourcing your child to me. I'm here to bind you closer together as you are bound to Christ by the Holy Spirit. It's not my job to shepherd your child. It's your job to shepherd your child. I'm shepherding your family. So don't outsource your, your child's responsibility to me because I can't carry that mm -hmm. any more than one of my children should be outsourced to a youth worker. I, I would be deeply ashamed on Judgment Day for Christ to look at my own family and say, well, he said the blessing at, at supper. But beyond that, he never taught his child doctrine. He never sang the doxology at his supper table. He never taught them how to sing songs of, of, the, of the church's great sacred songs, hymns, and psalms. Instead, he taught them hotty toddy in Hale State. I never want my own personal problems to be manifest in the souls of my children. And I need a pastor to speak into my life and encourage me to foster my own child's spirituality. So I have been, over the years, gotten much better at that. I, I've, first of all, the first probably half, eight years of my ministry, I didn't even think that way. I had a job. I was paid to do it. They weren't. I also thought I was, you know, hot stuff. And so I went about life thinking, I'm, I'll solve all your problems. I know your kids. You don't know your kids. I'm Hey, shoot, I was just in high school. I know him better than you do. So let me take care of this. And the arrogance of that, I think, grieves the Holy Spirit, as Scripture says, probably even outrages him because that's a lie. And so I have had to rely deeply on parents, even when I knew they were not reliable. Mm -hmm. And that has been humbling for me, and it has changed the way I talk to them and changed the way I pray for them and changed the way I interact with their children. And it also helps me to not be their friend first. The kids, it helps me to be the pointer to their parents and the pointer to their families. It also raises a great, great question with the kids when they say, well, my dad's not even a believer. He won't even come to church. And I say, you need to pray for your father. You need to pray for your mother. And you need to have every opportunity you can to tell them of Christ. And you need to so model obedience in your home that they want to know what happened. Mm -hmm. And in that way still, I'm seeking the salvation of the parent mm -hmm. with the child. You're inviting them to the Great Commission in their living rooms, and that's the hardest place to preach the gospel. So it's, it's taking a long time to get to that place. I think I'm there, 
I certainly have the doctrine down abstractly. I don't always reflect that, and I'm still making mistakes, and occasionally I still have parents say, you know, so-and-so really looks up to you, and so when you spoke in this way, they came home and spoke in that way too, and I cringe, and I go, ooh, you know. I'm modeling bad behavior because I'm forgetting that the parents are the primary shepherds. But, yeah. but I, I, essentially, to summarize it, that's the biggest problem that I try to overcome is divorcing myself from the family, and I need to support the family. And very briefly, you know, the great privilege we have. So if the problem is all, this, all the mistakes we make in pulling the kids away from the family, the privilege we have is simply being a shepherd to lost families, families that are struggling with little Susie's disobedience, that she comes and ha she has questions about why God isn't answering her prayers, and on and on and on. Our greatest privilege is simply to ask questions, to pray for them. I mean, it really gets back to what we talked about yesterday, to preach to them, to teach them, to pray for them, to counsel them, and to sit with them. And that is a tremendous privilege to have with parents. And Jonathan, again, there's so much good stuff there. I mean, and just your conversations with students, how those conversations incorporate the family and thinking kind of in the model of the family. And then also just kind of practically speaking, as you picking up the phone and making a phone call, contacting a parent, um, just the, the trust that's fostered there and just having that mindset again, where we're, you know, even the phone call you said where you, you would contact a parent um, before you'd sit down with, you know, a female they might not even be thinking in those categories, but just that phone call alone is teaching them to think, you know, in those, okay, wow, I've got primary discipleship over my children and God's called me to steward this child. So get us all of that. So much good stuff there. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I briefly mentioned this earlier, but I, this would be, unless you have something else, all I would, all I would say on this topic. Uh, there, there is a great temptation for ministers, especially introverted ministers who, uh, have a visceral reaction to face-to-face -to -face time with people. Modern technology allows us to breed greater weaknesses in our, in our otherwise introverted selves, to avoid people. We can text instead of call. We can email instead of go to their house. We have to fight that. Proverbs says a fool isolates himself, and that is one of the biggest problems for introverts. We isolate ourselves through our technology. And we have to remember that Christ himself is present with us through his Holy Spirit. He is not texting the Spirit's words to us. He is embodied through the Spirit who has no body. And this is a mystery that we cannot fathom. But Christians are walking as living temples and bricks in the house of God. And we must embody that to parents. So that parents, even if they respond to us in text messages, we do our best to call them. And sometimes they'll get annoyed and say, you know, this is taking up too much time. I just really wanted to text. And we say, okay. But, you know, we, we at least try. And yeah. so uh, I do my best not to, not to feed my own weaknesses and my own fears and insecurities and instead overcome them by embodying the faith to, to a family. Yeah, that's a good, that's an important side note there. Um, thanks so much for that, Jonathan. Sure. Sure.